Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. On today's show, we've got some news to get to. We've also got a Big Ten football game coming up this Saturday, so we'll make a pick in that one to kick off the college football season. Then after that, we'll do the similar outfit of what we did in our last episode, which was the defensive depth chart breakdown and then some over-under stat predictions. Uh, So it should be very similar to what we did with the offense. We've got some fun over-unders, some fun stat lines that we'll touch on defensively. After that, we've got one other segment, and that is Wisconsin Volleyball with Bremen Kesey. He is part of our B5Q staff. He joined me to talk about Wisconsin Volleyball, who kicks up their season uh, this weekend as well. So busy time of year for UW Athletics all of a sudden after – a long summer, we're finally getting football and volleyball back. Camp Randall will be rocking. The field house will be rocking, so it should be a lot of fun. And I think you guys really, really enjoy that um, as we move forward into volleyball and football season. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing great, yeah. I think people really enjoy hearing Bremen talk about the, the volleyball team just because, once again, they're they're set up to have a really strong season as well. Um, and, and I think that having him jump on here or there to talk about the volleyball is, is going to be something that's really exciting. Yeah, he definitely knows his stuff. I think you guys will really enjoy um, that interview. And as I say, in that portion, he's actually going to be coming on um, every week coming up here. Uh, he's going to hop on and just do a recap of uh, what happened the previous week for Wisconsin volleyball. So it'd be nice to give you guys a little coverage from somebody who knows what they're talking about a little bit more um, since we probably don't know as much in-depth stuff as Bremen does. So you guys will certainly enjoy uh, the volleyball portions of this uh, of this episode. All right, well, why don't we get right into some news. Not a ton to get to, but a little bit of stuff. Nigel Hayes, former Wisconsin basketball player, signs with FC Barcelona. Of course, originally it was in talks with the Boston Celtics at one point for a possible NBA deal. Um, now is joining with one of the top clubs in Spain. Uh, of course, a, a very popular club if you follow soccer, similar um, FB, FC Barcelona to there. I believe um, Paul Gasol still plays on there, so very um, well-regarded team over in Spain. So uh, what do you make of, of that brief news for Wisconsin basketball? I think it, it's a definitely a positive development for his career. You saw last uh, last two years he was over in Lithuania, which, once again, another another great place to be for, for basketball. But I do think that um, the Spanish League is going to be a nice jump for him. And, and, I, and really, I think that it's, it's the next best thing if you're not going to be able to be playing in the NBA. So um, I'm excited to see Nigel, what he can do this next season at, at kind of a step up in competition. Um, after last last couple of years, he um, played a little bit in Lithuania. 
Yeah, who knows if he has. He puts together some quality stats and minutes over there in Spain. Who knows, he might be jumping back into the NBA. We've seen, uh, of course, Sam Decker getting back to the league. So would not be surprised at all if Nigel Hayes finds a similar path and ends up back um, soon. And if not, you know, it's, it's worse places to play and live than, I'm sure, in Barcelona. So good for Nigel Hayes um, taking that opportunity, and we wish him the best of luck as he moves forward. Right, the only other brief piece of news we got is some injury updates. I know Paul Chris kind of talked some updates with Danny Davis, Tyler Beach, Jack Van Dyke, some a few of those guys, and I don't believe we touched on it in our last episode. So um, what is the latest with some of these guys? I know we've been uh, waited with bated breath with Danny D- Davis with his, with his head injury, um, and, of course, Tyler Beach is, is by far a huge key piece to this football team. So where uh, are they at, uh, according to Paul Chris? Yeah, so we recorded on Monday of last week, and then Tuesday we got to hear from Paul Christ. And in in his uh, media availability session, he talked about that he expects that everybody should be healthy outside of the guys who are out for this season, which are Duncan McKinley, Cole Dakovich, um, and Al Ashford. So I think overall that's positive developments in terms of Danny Davis. Um, Tyler Beach as well as Logan Brown are back practicing, which is which is huge. Um, just in terms of the depth at that left tackle position. Um, I think Cormac Sampson is a guy that can swing around and help you a lot, but at the same time, I think you'd rather have Beach out there or even Logan Brown, you know, your top two guys at that position. And then Danny Davis, I mean, he's one of the most important players on this entire um, offense or defense or uh, team in general, just based off of how different this offense looks with him on the field. That head injury, I know we were both kind of, worried about it just because of what happened last year. But at the same time, it seems like they were being cautious with him, trying to make sure that he was ready for the opener. Um, the good thing is he really doesn't need a lot of reps um, before that game. It's more about just making sure he's healthy, keeping him healthy. Um, and then Jack Van Dyke, well, I think it's going to be interesting to see if he can get back in that kicking job. I know we're going to talk about the, the kicking competition and who we think is going to be in that depth chart. But but really, I think having having all three of those guys, including Logan Brown, back, I think is is going to be extremely valuable. And you you need to hope that things continue to to um, go according to plan and and that they're ready for the Penn State game. Yeah, certainly good news with with all of those guys. Hopefully, being back and ready to go. Um, Tyler Beach and Danny Davis, especially, are two key pieces that you need to, to have in this team. And if not, you'll you'll certainly see that the repercussions of that if they're banged up and. Thankfully, they got a little bit of depth on that offensive line, but Tyler Beach is the type of player that even if you got the depth, you want him out there because he's one of your top guys and, and will, will help you in a big way. Danny Davis, of course, as well. So uh, good news uh, on the injury front. I know in the last couple of years, in early in, in camp, there was a lot of injuries going into week one. So far, fingers crossed it stays that way. There hasn't been a ton of major news in terms of the injury front, so hopefully Wisconsin will be full go as they get uh, taken off against Penn State, because we are, are getting closer now, just a few days away um, um, from kicking that football season off in Camp Randall. All right, speaking of kicking off the football season, the Big Ten is in the limelight to start the college football season in Week 0 with Illinois and Nebraska. Um, the Week 0 slate, not the particularly best games, but it's live, meaningful football, so I think we'll all take it and be happy with it. A Big Ten matchup to start things off is is certainly something that a lot of people would sign up for. And I think it's an intriguing matchup, of course, with Illinois and Nebraska. Brett Bielema starting up um, with the Fighting Illini and Scott Frost looking to elevate 
what has been a lackluster start, let's say, uh, for Nebraska football and his career. So interesting matchup to start off. I know some people don't love these Big Ten matchups to open the season, but we've got a lot of them this year across the conference. So um, similar to last year, we'll do our Big Ten pick them. It'll be short and sweet this time with only one game. Who do you have in this Illinois-Nebraska matchup to kick off the college football season? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating that I'm, you know, I'm sure you are too just pumped to watch these two teams, which normally you put that in a normal um, schedule and it's kind of in the middle of the year. It doesn't really matter or move, make waves. But given everything going on, this is a huge game for, for both teams, especially Illinois, new head coach, Nebraska, um, having a coach who's kind of on some rocky ground right now. So I, I think when you look at that spread, it started off at like seven and a half, eight. I think you could even get it at in favor of Nebraska. It's gone, come down. Um, to like five, five and a half, I've seen. So in in favor still of Nebraska, but but I think because this game is in Champaign, Illinois is going to have a shot here. Um, I don't necessarily know if Illinois is going to to get that win, um, but I'll, I'll go with Nebraska because we're going straight pick them. But I do think that Illinois, I would not be surprised if they win it. Yeah, it's a fascinating game. I think a lot of people, at least myself and some others that I've read up, um, some college football previews, some people are really, uh, I won't say really high on Illinois, but think they're going to be a little bit better than um, you know where they've been at the last few years. I tend to agree with that. I think they're going to be a team that, uh, once they get clicking, um, will be uh, kind of a pain uh, when you're looking at some of these games where they'll probably lose more games than they win, but they might hang around and be much more competitive. And then on the Nebraska side, for me, it just I, I look through in the preseason read-up stuff, and there's just not a lot that excites you about that roster. So it's it's really a tough game. I think uh, getting seven points with Illinois at home is is a fascinating one. That's certainly something that I would look at. Um, I'll I'll you know what I'll go ahead. I'll take Illinois. Um, I I just something about this Nebraska team with everything that's going on recruiting wise. I don't really. I look across their roster. They've got a couple guys that that maybe excites you a little bit, but generally it's not a you're not a super exciting college football roster. And uh, I think Illinois is going to be a little bit better. They got a ton of those super seniors, guys that are returning for their you know extra COVID year, which I think will really help them. And you know I know some people have certain feelings about Brett Bielema, but the guy can can certainly coach football. He did it really well at Wisconsin, so. I'll go ahead and uh, take the Illinois uh, win and, and maybe put uh, Scott Frost even further on the hot seat because that is not the way they'd want to start their season. I love it, Tyler. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a game <laughs> that I think could go either way right now, and that's why I think it's actually such a juicy matchup for week zero. Um, and, and I was really close to pulling the trigger for Illinois as well, but I, I just think Nebraska has maybe a little bit more on offense, and and I just there's uncertainty of what Illinois is actually going to be this year. So I, I think this is going to be just one of those games that could go either way, and I'm excited just to see it. Um, and I'm and I'm glad that that's a week zero game instead of a, a middle of the season game, given the storylines. Yeah, I think there'll be plenty of eyeballs on that one and a relatively light week zero slate, but still a nice appetizer as we get closer to week one. All right, with the Big Ten picks wrapped up, why don't we go ahead and start with our defensive depth chart breakdown. Of course, last episode we did the offensive side of the ball, so if you haven't listened to that, make sure to go and check it out. But uh, to go to the defensive side now, I think in terms of of competition, starters, and depth chart, a lot of these positions are, I would say, pretty well in stone because they've got a lot back on the defensive side of the football. But there's a couple 
interesting spots that we've talked about a little bit. And now that camp is wrapped up uh, and closed to the media, I think we've got a good idea of who it'll be at least to start. So we'll start at defensive end because, of course, those are the spots where two starters from last year in Loudermilk and Rand are gone. So some new faces will be lining up there. Um, I think one starting defensive end and Matt Henningsen is probably pretty obvious. And the other, maybe you could make some debate there. But who would you say is uh, maybe the ones and, and twos at that defensive end position? Yeah, so Henningsen's a for, uh, a for sure guy. Um, and then Isaiah Mullins is probably your first up at defensive end. But what I think is going to be interesting is, do they bump Keanu Benton out there a little bit more? Um, especially when they go to nickel, I think it's going to be Benton and Henningsen as your top two um, down linemen, just to get Benton as, on the field as much as humanly possible, um, which will obviously kick out Mullins. But but I, I think that really, just if we're looking at pure defensive ends, I think it'll be Henningsen and Mullins. Maybe Benton pops out to one so they can bring in Bryson Williams, because I thought he had a phenomenal camp at nose. But, but Henningsen, Mullins, probably your top two. And then Rodas Johnson um, and James Thompson Jr. kind of round that out. Thompson's huge. He's a really big kid. They really like him. Um, he's pretty quick and agile for how big he is. And then Rodas Johnson is just a, has got like a tireless motor, works really hard. I think they are way deeper at defensive end than I thought that they were going to be this year. Um, just based off of what we saw the last couple of seasons, I think the depth there is, is much better than what we have seen the past couple of years. And I think that that's something that is, is going to definitely help out this team as they try to attack from the defensive line a little bit more. Yeah, totally agree. I think last year after the Mayo Bowl, you thought about the positions that maybe you were a little bit concerned about coming into this year, and defensive end was one that was up there. And then I think people maybe calmed down and realized, okay, Matt Henningsen's a pretty good player. And then some of the other, these other guys, now granted, it's only but what we've heard and what we've seen in camp, but I think they're much better off than where they were at that time wrapping up last season. So I, I totally agree with you. I think the fascinating part will be how they manage Keanu Benton and Bryson Williams because two guys that, you know, if you were putting them in only one spot, it would be, um, you know, probably that nose tackle spot. But both of them have the ability um, to kind of bounce around. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see what they could do because I think they're going to want both of them on the field at some point. But it's hard to take a guy like Keanu Benton off the field with the way he plays and, and the skill that he brings. So uh, to kind of transition that, we'll, we'll go to nose tackle. I think it's pretty much a similar conversation. Benton will be the, the starting guy and then maybe move him around. And then you could see a guy like Bryson Williams also getting reps at that, you know, furthest interior spot. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And then behind them, it'd be Gio Paez who also like, like those guys can also bounce inside or outside. But I just think that nose tackle, you look at it, having three guys who are all very capable of holding their own in the middle there, I think is just, is really beneficial for this defense and something that they have missed at times. I mean, it's we're not that far removed from Caden Lyles having to play um, inside there due to mm -hmm. injury and, um, you know, crazy butterfly effect just thinking about what he would be doing right now if they had kept him on the defensive line. But, um, but really, I, I do think that Benton is going to be all over this field, whether it's at nose tackle or defensive end. He is – him and Henningsen are your top two, and I don't expect those two to be off the field very often. Totally agree. All right, well, go ahead and hop to outside linebacker because I think this is a spot that um, 
one player in Nick Herbig is probably as uh, solid as you can be in terms of a starter. I know he had, sounded like he had a really strong camp and is really flying around the field. We saw glimpses of that last year. The second outside linebacker spot is maybe one that's a little bit more contentious because I think at the top you you think from based on last year it's a guy like Noah Burks, but I'll be honest, you know, both you and I have read and, and kept up with a lot of camp and been to uh, a couple practices didn't see or hear a ton of news coming out um, with Noah Burks in that conversation. Not saying that he won't play and, and wouldn't start, but in terms of the other guys like C.J. Getz, Spencer Lytle, those are guys that have really been making plays, and you're hearing about them, and you've seen glimpses of that. So I'm fascinated to see who else is going to be running out there as a starter at that second outside linebacker spot. Um, you know, A guy like Isaiah Green May has been talked about a little bit as well. They've got good depth there, but who's going to be the – the top guys is is really interesting uh, to watch. So who would you peg as the one-two um, at the depth chart of that outside linebacker spot? Yeah, I think it's Herbig and Burks. Um, I, I, like like you mentioned, I love the juice that Herbig brings to this defense. I think he's in for a big year. Um, it'll be I'm interested to see about that cast if if it lingers um, beyond the first couple games. But but really, I think Burks is going to probably get the nod, I would think, just based off of consistency purposes. Um, you know, he, he actually looked pretty good in 2019. He wasn't a guy, like, he's not a game breaker. I don't mm-hmm. by any means think that he's going to be a guy that all of a sudden is going to turn into a world beater. But he still had seven tackles for a loss, two sacks, and, um, and, and that interception um, against Northwestern in 2019. So it's not like he – He's a slouch, like he can't do things, because that was two years ago. Um, you didn't see his name much last year, so I, I think he's going to have to to bring something more to the table this year. Um, if not, I, I agree with you. I think you could see somebody push him, and if I had to pick somebody who's going to push him, I, I'm guessing it's going to be Spencer Lytle. Lytle just, he, he's much more physical this year. He's much bigger, um, really worked on um, adding some weight, and, and really – he does some nice things with his hands in pass rushing situations, Well, but he also gives you what Burks does in terms of dropping into coverage. So I think Lytle is a guy that if if by midseason you're seeing more of a rotation between those two to keep them fresh, I would not be surprised. Um, Burks probably will be your starter, but Lytle I think is going to rotate in a hell of a lot. And then on the other side, I agree with you, CJ Getz. Um, those two have been with the twos most of camp. Isaiah Green may can rotate in as well, sometimes in pass rushing situations. But the the big guy that I'm interested to see when he comes back, and and that's a big if right now because we don't know, is Aaron Witt. I just think he brings something different to this outside linebacker group that I could see him getting some reps immediately as well once he's healthy um, and, and pushed his way into that depth chart because – I, I loved what I saw from him late last season, including the, the Mayo Bowl. And he, his size is in, in quickness off the edge is something they just don't have outside of maybe Herbert. Yeah, totally agree. He, he's a fascinating uh, product that you could possibly see out there eventually. Um, got all the tools, and we've seen small glimpses. And, and, and when he's ready to get out there, could be a very impactful player as well. Uh, again, good amount of depth at that outside linebacker spot. That'll be interesting to keep an eye on. All right, inside, I think the starters here are pretty much set in stone, have been set in stone um, since last year with the Mayo Bowl. Jack Sanborn, Leo Chanel, going to be your one-two, I'd say. They're going to be out there 90% of the time, 99% of the time, I should say, um, if they're healthy and, and breathing and ready to go. So 
Maybe the question is who is their third one that rotates in, but I think that's pretty set in stone and Mikey Mascalunas too. So anything else you want to add to the inside linebacker spot? I think the only thing you mentioned, those are your top three. Those are probably going to be the three that see the field most frequently. And Mascalunas will only see it in certain packages or if somebody really needs a break. Bob Bostead does not like taking those top two off, and there's a reason because they're studs. But um, I, I think it is interesting that Tate Grass, uh, a walk-on, mm-hmm. is is probably your fourth guy right now. Um, and he missed the beginning of fall camp here but had a really good spring. And the fact that he was reinserted into that second group with Mascalunas ahead of Jordan Turner, who was having a really good fall camp from what we saw and what we've heard, I think is noteworthy just for the future because you don't know how long – well, Jack Sanborn I think is done after this year. He's going to be an NFL guy. Um, Leo Chanel, it depends on his year. He's the guy who will be draft eligible. I don't know if he would leave. Instead, maybe he waits around for another year so he can be the guy like Jack Sanborn and run the defense. But at the same time, I think that that inside linebacker competition for next year is fascinating. And right now you can kind of see that Tate Grass – has the inside track at that because Mascalunas will be gone and Sanborn will be gone and you need bodies kind of, you know, behind them. And, and Jordan Turner and Tate Grass, that competition will be interesting. It'll be fun to see who's on that first step chart come next week. Yeah, absolutely. The, the inside linebacker spot and, and the depth behind those two is certainly something to pay attention to. All right, we'll move on to the safety room. Again, good amount of depth here as well. Scott Nelson, of course, is in there. As one of your starters, and I, I would think that one's pretty set in stone. The other one, um, likely Colin Wilder, but there's some other guys I think that will certainly be in the mix here. So what do you have for the depth chart in the safety room? Yeah, I think it's Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder, your one-two that really hasn't um, changed all spring um, or all fall. That Those have been the guys. Um, and I think Scott Nelson's primed for a huge year, to be perfectly honest. Um, but I think behind them it's Travion Blaylock, John Torchio. I wouldn't necessarily put it in that order. I think Torchio is your third guy, similar to Mascalunas, where it's like you know what you got from this guy, the jewel thief. He's had a huge fall camp, um, and really just he's a playmaker. I, I think former – or I don't know if he's on scholarship yet. I think he's still a walk-on um, that that came to campus um, over, going over some other scholarship offers like Cal – but I think that, that th- those three are really good. Trayvon Blaylock has the tools, really fast, really twitchy. Um, but I think the other guy who could who could kind of push Blaylock is Hunter Waller, the true freshman. We've talked about him all offseason as a guy to watch. And, and he hasn't disappointed in fall camp, already made some nice plays, looks the part early here. So I think that you, you look at Nelson and Wilder as your one-two start, starting off, but then behind them you've really got three guys that you feel pretty comfortable with. Um, and, and that's not even talking about a guy like Preston Zachman, who I think has made some nice plays in his transition from linebacker to safety. Yeah, John Torchio is a fascinating name that has came up a lot um, this fall and, of course, in the spring as well. And I, I think you'll see a good amount of him when they need to rely on a third guy. And like you said, he, he's a playmaker. He's just – he's – always in the right spot at the right time, similar to kind of how uh, Matt Henningsen was a couple years ago where maybe it wasn't the biggest name, but it was always a guy that was making plays and, um, you know, like I said, in the, in the right spot at the right time. So that safety room is certainly in a good spot right now. All right, we'll move to cornerback. I think this one, if we do, uh, I always like to do the nickel as its own position because it does, you know, it is a little bit different and, and Jim Leonard generally has one guy that he kind of likes to rely on there. So, 
Um, the top two are, are likely set in stone once again, but um, that that third cornerback has been the spot that has really been uh, a lot of people have pay, been paying attention to. Of course, we've heard um, Dean Ingram and Alexander Smith, and I think those two are, are certainly still in the conversation. What do you have for your cornerback room depth chart? Yeah, so I think for cornerback, Caesar Williams as well as Fan Hicks are your top two corners in base when you're in your normal 3-4, um, which, which Jim Leonard uses probably about a quarter of the time. Uh, most of the time, though, they, they do bring in an extra defensive back, whether it be a corner or a safety. Um, if they do a safety, I would assume it's Torchio, but most of the time it's going to be a cornerback. And what's interesting is what happens usually depending upon which guy they bring in. If they bring in Alexander Smith, who I think is your third corner, I think he's mm-hmm. the guy who is your third corner based off of what we've seen in in fall camp and what we've kind of heard, um, he's usually the first guy up. He goes to the boundary, and then they push Fayon Hicks inside to the slot. And and Hicks is a guy that they even sometimes just kind of have him float with the the top corner this year. So I think those are your top three. Um, Dean Ingram will also get a ton of reps when they're in their dime, when they need a, uh, an extra defensive back and, and get six out there. So I think that Ingram – as well as Smith will play, but I think Alexander Smith is going to get the first crack as the third corner, as that nickel guy, um, even though he's not necessarily their nickel because most of the time he's popping to the outside. Yeah, I, I love that setup. I think that's the the way, um, based on what we've seen, that I, I think will bring them the most success. I, I think Hicks can certainly bop down in and, and rotate around, and Alexander Smith is a quality player, but I think he maybe fits more and, and plays a little bit better on that outside part, and, and you can do a little bit of a little bit of different stuff with with Bayon Hicks on the inside, so that should be interesting to watch. So um, fun fun group of cornerback, you know, a lot of talent there, a lot of depth. Once again, that should be fascinating to watch. All right, we'll do our special teams now here quickly. We've got, of course, the kicker spot, and then we'll get into kick return. Uh, kicker is once again the, the fascinating one. We talked about Jack Van Dyke, who has been a little bit banged up, um, maybe getting back into the competition once he's healthy. Um, it seems like Kyle Marsh is probably the guy right now, but I would have to imagine if Jack Van Dyke is ready to go, it's a fairly short leash if uh, if Larsh isn't producing. Yeah, the the I wrote up earlier today the special teams depth chart that's going to be coming out tomorrow or at the time of this podcast probably, but but yeah, I think Larsh is is probably the guy just because of the fact that Van Dyke missed some time here in fall camp with a leg issue. I do think it sounds like it's trending in the way that Van Dyke will be good to go. Um, I don't know if they would necessarily have enough time between between him coming back um, and that first game for him to kind of reestablish himself as the guy. Because beginning of fall camp, it, it, it was Van Dyke. He was handling most of the, the kicking duties. Um, but then Larsh had a, a couple nice practices. So I, I think it's going to start with Larsh. But like you mentioned, I do think it's going to be a quick hook. I also think it'll depend on um, the dis- the dis- down and distance, how far the kick is, because Van Dyke's got the much stronger leg. So if it's anything 45-plus, I would imagine that it's going to be Van Dyke. But um, like you said, large maybe for now, but by season's end, I'm guessing it's going to be Van Dyke, unless Larsh goes out and really has a consistent year, which I hope for his sake he does as a fifth-year senior and, and a local kid from – um, MG, I, I just think he's a kid who can do some nice things when he's on, but at the same time, we just haven't seen the consistency, which has been a, a struggle so far. 
All right, wrapping up special teams portion of things. Kick return is a very interesting spot, I think, in, in practice. We've seen a few different guys back there. So who do you have pegged as the guys will be back deep to receive possibly that opening kickoff against Penn State? I definitely think it's going to be um, Devin Chandler. Uh, he, he handled most of the, of the kickoffs as in taking that first rep um, most of the fall, including the spring. He had that 53-yarder uh, against Wake Forest in the bowl game that really gave them a jolt and helped them out in a lot of ways um, and, and kind of ignited their comeback. Um, but then behind that, I, I think the other two guys that also got a ton of work um, in really a crowded group of guys who got to work, but, but the next two up were usually Isaac Arendo and Fayon Hicks. Um, I have a hard time seeing them put Fayon Hicks out there. You know, maybe your top cover corner. I don't think that's somebody you'd necessarily want there. Returning kickoffs um, where you can really get smacked when everybody's running full speed. But your third running back or a guy rotating in with the running back room and who has, we mentioned that 24-mile-an-hour speed, um, that makes a ton of sense. Um, either way, I think you're going to see Garendo out there, maybe as an up man uh, at times. But, but Devin Chandler is going to be the guy. Yeah, I like that combo a lot. If you had Chandler back there and Garendo, you don't like you mentioned. You don't want to put guys out there that you may need in other situations. Hopefully, you can find somebody on the roster that can take on those duties. I think both of them would be guys that uh, I would certainly want to sign up for and, and see back there. We've seen a little bit of excitement from both of them in their career, and I think that would be a solid combo as as the kicker returner to start out the season. All right, well, why don't we go into our defensive stat predictions now. Um, we've got some interesting over-unders, some hypothetical stuff like that that we can get into, similar to what we did with the offensive side of the ball. I think one thing that a lot of us are looking for in the defensive room is, in the defense in general, is sacks. Uh, of course, last year, uh, not a ton of productions uh, in terms of sacks. They need somebody or a collective effort to to kind of turn into that Chris Orr and, and really take on that big you know, role of, of leading the team in sacks or, or putting pressure on the cornerback, or the quarterback, I should say, because that's really what Jim Leonard's defense predicates itself on is causing, you know, causing havoc getting to the quarterback and, and making allowing the defense to make plays. So if you had to pick a player, who turns into that Chris Orr type and leads the team in sacks come year's end? Don't forget Zach Bond actually led the team oh, there you two go. years ago. Um, but I've got two different names that I can make a pretty strong case for. Who do, who do you have? Because I'll just go with the other one. I, I think it's going to be Leo Chanel. I, I think that kid, you know, we, we talked about it so much last year that he was – hungry to make plays and was just a step off. And when you talk about him, possibly, you can tell he's got that hunger. I kind of asked him about that at media days, and he kind of he kind of looked at me like angry about it. And I was like, okay, this, he's got that fire in him. So I think he could come in and just be a battering ram, have a huge year. Um, he had plenty of quarterback hurries last year, just that step off. I think this year he uh, completes the job and is the guy that, that really makes a difference uh, in the sack department. Yeah, I could easily see him getting over that 10-sack ten, ten threshold just based off of his physicality and, and how good he is poised to be this year. Um, but I'll go with Nick Herbig just to be different. Um, I, I think Wisconsin loves to use Chanel um, as a guy up the middle and to kind of knife through the defense, similar to what they did with Ryan Connolly as well. But mm -hmm. I, I just I do think that Herbig off the edge gives them, gives them some juice that, that they really didn't have last year. He, he was able to make a bunch of plays last year as, as a guy creating tackles for loss, 
um, and doing some really nice things as a, as a true freshman, um, which is just kind of unheard of. I've seen a lot from him this year as, as an outside linebacker in terms of growth. You, you've heard or in Steam, you know, videos on Instagram of him working out with his brother who, you know, if you don't know, plays in the NFL and was working out with a bunch of guys who also are in the NFL. So I, I think he's a kid that is, is poised for a really big year. And, and I'm just, I love the tenacity in his, his get up and go off the edge. I think he's going to be a kid that's going to be pushing for 10 sacks as well, like Leo Chanel. So I think, I think it's going to be a close race between those two, and I wouldn't be surprised either way. No, I think that he just plays with a different type of motor that will certainly benefit Wisconsin. And with another year, or that first year under his belt, I think he could be poised for a jump as well. All right, now we'll do an over-under for the inside linebacker room. I think this one's interesting with Jack Sanborn in terms of tackles. Um, I've put the over-under 90, and with you look back, his career high is 80, and that was in uh, 2019. So a good year, but I think a lot of people expect him to be uh, above that threshold just because he's developed into such a bigger um, star type of player for this defense and a guy that can really come in and just rack up tackles, especially in the Big Ten when you're going against you know, run games. He's going to be the guy that's there and, and filling in for a lot of those tackles. So would you say over under? I think he gets to that career high and, and probably gets over that, but maybe we'll put the threshold at 90 to start right now. So are we doing this based off of bowl stats and postseason or just straight up 12-game regular season? Let's go ahead and do, we'll go, assuming that Wisconsin makes a bowl, which I do believe they will, we'll, let's go all 14 games because his career high was uh, all over the course of um, all 14. So why don't we go ahead and just make it fair and, and do it that way? Okay. So, because last year he averaged about seven and a half per game. Um, and, and really he was on pace to, if they had played 13 games, exceed 90. If you play exactly 12, he's at like 89.15. So really close. I do think that he's going to have a, a really big season. I'm going to go with the over, but I don't think it's going to be um, like a crazy amount over that just because I do think that Leo Chanel, Colin Wilder, Nick Herbig, th- those guys who were the top four in tackles last year are probably going to be heavily involved again this year, especially the way though, that Jim Leonard likes to bring down his strong safety into the box and, and, and get them involved like Colin Wilder probably will be. So I think that he will exceed it, but I, I could see it being like 93 um, or 94 tackles because Leo Chanel is also going to um, rack up his fair share of tackles as well. Yeah, I think that's the, the part that, that maybe detracts some of the numbers from, from him is just that there's other guys around him. You know, it's not like teams of years past where there was just one you know, linebacker going in and making that you know, 10 tackles a game. Um, you know, type of season. So I, I think he'll eclipse that number, but I, I totally agree with you. It'll be a, a close mark, but that's certainly not a knock. I think it just says speaks more towards this team has, has got a lot of talent and they mix up the looks and a lot of guys will be contributing in a lot of different ways. All right, we'll go on to the defensive line now. Big things expected, of course, from Keanu Benton. So it's hard to put an overrunner on him because he does a lot of different things. You know, some of the times it's, his stat line is hard to measure because he's just the guy that's in there taking on blocks. But I do think he'll be more involved in terms of making tackles, possibly pressuring the quarterback. So what kind of stat line do you think a guy like Keanu Benton could put together this year? Yeah, I think I think he's going to have a really big year. And like you mentioned, the stats won't tell it all. Um, but, but he's a guy that I do think 
Um, in terms of his ability to eat up space, be dynamic, the fact that he's going to be on the field with when they're two down linemen set, when that that uh, two four five that that Jim Leonard likes to deploy, um, I do think that he's going to get around that, like maybe five sacks. It could be higher, um, just because I do think that he is a mismatch problem for against some of the some of the guards in the Big Ten. So. I would guess that he's going to be closer to 10 tackles for loss and closer to five sacks. I think that that's not crazy to think. Um, you know, looking at him, watching him play in fall camp, he reminds me of Wendell Bryant a lot. Now, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a, you know, a first-round draft pick and, and um, you know, earn all sorts of accolades like Wendell Bryant did. But I do think that Keanu Benton will, will step up in at least one or two games here and have that, that a moment like Wendell Bryant did in that Rose Bowl where, where you just he just shut things down. I think Benton can have a similar um, type of an effect against the right team, and I think that he's going to be a guy that can really help them win some games this year. Yeah, I think when you when you factor in that he he's likely a guy that could possibly see more snaps than what he's done in, in the past for his career and, and get him into more situations to make plays. I I totally agree. I think that stat line is is very fair, um, and and it would be a great year for him when you consider all the stuff that he does that he can't really measure in the stat lines. To have those type of numbers would be um, would be meaning that that Keanu Benton is is going to have the year that you would expect from him and and the quality and the caliber that he plays at. All right, we'll go on to our next one now. Can't really predict turnovers or, or forced fumbles, interceptions, anything like that. So let's just say this. Which player do you think leads the team in turnovers forced at year's end? I think it's going to be Chanel. Um I, I just think I think the, the other guy that I would think about would be Sanborn, just because they're going to be around the ball so frequently um, that I think when you factor in forced fumbles, I would go with Chanel. But but at the same time, I could easily see it being one of the safeties as well, maybe a guy like Scott Nelson. But for now, I'll go with Chanel just because I think he's going to be around the ball so much. Yeah, I think the, the other name that I would mention, I would have won with Chanel as well just because he's he's got that motor and, and just seems to be a guy that wrecks havoc. Um, but Scott Nelson is, is certainly a guy that I think could be up there. I know everyone, I know both you and I are expecting big things from him, and he's a guy that... Um, his freshman year was making plays and, again, close to the ball a lot in passing situations. So I could see him being up there for sure, you know, snagging a few interceptions that way. And I'm uh, excited to see what both of those guys can do because I think in terms of guys that just create havoc, those are the two names that you look for for sure. And there's some others that do it, but those are the guys that you can really lean on. All right, up next. The Badgers did not have a defensive touchdown last year, so let's go ahead and try and predict how many defensive scores they generate. Because I think this defense is, is going to be good once again. I think the sack numbers will be better. The quarterback hurries will be better. So I think they're going to generate a lot more pressure and, and chaos on that defense side of the football. How many defensive scores do you think they could possibly generate? I think they'll have at least three this year. I, I think that you look at this team, This I, I, I keep saying, I think this defense is going to be better than it was in 2019. And 2019 was a really good defense. It's not quite – 2019 wasn't quite what it was in 2017, and we'll see if they can get to that level. But but I do think that this is going to be step up from even last year when they only averaged um, 17 points per game against them. So I think that they're going to create more splash plays, mostly because I think there's going to be an attacking style on the front seven. So I think that they're going to have more from that. 
Um, I think when you look at an experienced secondary, experienced middle linebacking crew, and then some defensive linemen who have shown the ability to create those plays in the past, like, I mean, hell, Matt Hangston was a touchdown machine in 2019. I think they're going to have some defensive touchdowns this year, much more than last year when they had none. Yeah, I think three is a, a very fair number when you look at um, what this team did a couple of years ago, if they get back to that. I mean, they were a great defense last year um, with with really not doing the thing that they do best, which is creating you know turnovers and getting pressure and, and just causing all that havoc. So I think uh, three is, is certainly a place that you could put them in, and I really like you know, that range, maybe three, four, you know, maybe if it's just two, I mean, they have to, there's some of them where I think you could see turnovers and them make a play, but maybe they don't find the end zone. So it's it's a harder number to predict, but I certainly see this defense being a team that uh, makes a ton of splash plays and, and hopefully finds the end zone because you, you, uh, you know how excited the defensive guys get when they uh, make those plays and, and do eventually get to the end zone. It's, it's always hype and, and, and swings the momentum in a lot of different ways. All right, to wrap it up here with over-under, in terms of total defense, you know, of course, Wisconsin's ranked in that high range um, quite a bit. You know, you look back to 2017, they were in terms of total defense. Um, in team defense, you know, they're number, number three. I don't know if they'll quite be that high because that group was pretty good. In, in 2018, they, of course, had a little bit more down year. 2019, I believe they were within the top ten in terms of team defense. So it's it's a good, really strong group again and you kind of just mentioned you, you think that they'll be maybe better than that group. So if they were in um, in the top 10 in 2019, I'm guessing I think I know where your number might be at, but where do you think this defense might rank in terms of total and, and team defense that way? Yeah, I definitely have them finishing in the top 10. Don't tell pro football focus that. But um, <laughs> when you look at this, a big reason for why I believe that is I think this defense, the front seven is going to be extremely stout against the run. Um, when you, and then you look at their schedule and the quarterbacks they're going to be going against, I, I think overall, like what, are you overly worried about Clifford, Cone, um, Tanner Morgan, right? Like those are the top three quarterbacks that they probably face all year long, which all three of them, solid quarterbacks, can, can have moments where they're pretty damn good. But at the same time, that isn't, that isn't going up against the Justin Fields. That isn't going up against um, some of the other quarterbacks that you've seen this team go up against in the past. So I think that they're going to have their opportunities to to go ahead and, and be one of the top defenses based off of partly their schedule, the fact that they're playing a lot of games at home, but but then also just the fact that I think this group is just better than they were last year. So I think that overall this is going to be a top 10 defense for sure. Yeah, I mean, you look at it last year in terms of team defense and in sportsreference.com, they were the number 10th ranked defense, and, and that was, again, without – making the splash plays that they wanted to. And I think some people sometimes forget how good that group was last year. The offense just kind of took the focal point of struggling, but the defense kept them in the games that uh, they won. So They were they just were on top, the field so often yeah, because yeah. the offense sucked. It was They were on the field a lot, and they still made, made a lot of plays. And, and so for them to be top 10 last year with pretty much most of the stuff, coming, most of the players coming back, uh, I think you got to feel really good about them being a top 10 unit. And I like what you mentioned because I personally, that the the, the row of quarterbacks that they're going to face, I don't think any anyone really jumps off the page to me, at least right now. Maybe those guys get a lot better. Maybe Tanner Morgan returns to what he was a couple years ago. Uh, but I think this defense is going to be just as solid. So 
I would say if you put an over or under, I would say they'd be better than the 10th ranked defense and, and certainly um, maybe pushing for, for one of those top spots. And maybe it's maybe it's hubris, but I think this defense is just going to be really, really good from front, from front to back. Yeah, the, Jim Leonard has talked about it, and I know I mentioned it. The depth that this defense has is is way better than what they had last year. And I think that that's so important when you look at the fact that injuries do pop up. We saw how you know crucial injuries can be last year. I think this group is going to be much better than a year ago. And, and they were extremely good last year. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. That wraps up our defensive stat predictions and depth chart. Uh, not quite done with the episode, though. We've got um, some volleyball to preview. So um, we'll go ahead, get our ad reads out of the way, and then we'll get into our Wisconsin volleyball preview with Bremen. It's about a 15-minute interview. Gives some good insight into what Wisconsin volleyball will be bringing this season. So stick with us through a couple quick ads. We'll be back with you shortly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Badger fans, we are now joined by a very special guest, our contributor at B5Q, Bremen Kesey. He covers a lot of different sports for our site over at B5Q, but uh, his big one and, of course, his uh, big focus is Wisconsin volleyball, which, believe it or not, is right around the corner, about to get started up this coming weekend. Uh, Of course, the spring season finished up um, last year, so it seems like a quick turnaround, but I know a lot of people are excited to have Wisconsin volleyball back um, of course, this upcoming weekend and, and next weekend, they've got some huge contests to back at the field house. So should be fun to see that uh, field house rocking once again with fans. Bremen, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk some Wisconsin volleyball. And before we get into our, our little preview here, I did want to announce that um, upcoming this season, uh, of course, Matt and I talk a little bit about volleyball on the podcast, but we're nowhere near as in-depth and know as much as Bremen does. So He's going to be coming on and doing a, a weekly segment on our Monday-Tuesday episode, um, just recapping the previous weekend's events for Wisconsin Volleyball. So I think it'll be good for listeners. You guys can get a little bit more volleyball coverage, and you don't have to listen to Matt and I try and, and sound like we know what we're talking about because we know we know the ins and outs. We know Dana Retke is pretty good. We know Kelly Sheffield's a good coach. We know the team's pretty good, but we don't know. Um, maybe the X's and O's and the in-depth coverage that you guys have been looking for previously. So I think it'll be a, a nice, fun segment to, to cover volleyball on the podcast. Yeah, hopefully I don't mess this one up so that <laughs> people like it going forward. There you go. Well, so far, so good. Let's get right into it with, um, with the team um, as we kind of preview this season. Of course, let's start with the departures. Big one, Molly Haggerty, who decided not to return, of course, with COVID year. 
Um, a lot of these players had the option to come back. She did not decide to. Some other ones we'll get to, of course, did. But how big of a loss is that? And, and who are some names that you think will take on some of that production that will, of course, be missed by um, her not being there? Yeah, I think, you know, Haggerty leaving the program obviously left quite a bit of a legacy. She always seemed to pull um, for UW in the moments when she was needed. She was absolutely critical in the uh, fifth set against Florida to get to the Final Four this past season in 20, uh, 2021. Uh, she had a block that, that got the Badgers in two and then had a lot of kills down the stretch to really become a force there. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned players who might step up uh, because I had a little bit of an article on that on uh, B5Q, and Grace Loberg is going to be definitely the name. She obviously was one of the bigger players for Wisconsin, especially on that front uh, line in the attack, uh, always getting kills, always seeming to be in the right spot. They even kind of would rotate that same position sort of coming from the left side of the court. And I really think that Loberg, and I talked to her, and she said she learned from Molly Haggerty of her killer instinct and the way that she kind of carried herself in the program. And although, obviously, Loberg has played uh, a lot, she's one of the super seniors that you mentioned is going to be able to return, she will definitely want to kind of try and take that mantle and become one of those go-to players. Um, as far as newer faces, um, Julia Orschel from Poland absolutely can hit the ball like crazy. She might be one of the players who really gets going in. And also sophomore Jade Demps, another outside hitter. She played a little bit last season, probably didn't get as big of a role because of just how obviously deep and talented the Badgers were, especially Molly Haggerty. But um, yeah, I think that those three would be the names who you would really look forward to see who would be replacing Molly Haggerty, especially Loberg, um, considering her leadership as a senior. Yeah, I think those are some names that will certainly be a big part of the rotation. But their other big name um, that decided to come back was, of course, Dana Redke, um, one of the most accomplished college volleyball players of all time, really just a, a dominating player every year she's been on campus. And, of course, she'll be back, which was a huge decision I know a lot of fans were waiting on. But there's other players, you know, Lauren Barnes, Sydney Hilly, and some younger players like Devin Robinson, who, of course, had a, a big impact in their run last year. So looking at it, of course, there's the departure of Molly Haggerty, but a lot of these big, familiar names are back. So is this rotation overall just as stacked in your mind as, as the last couple uh, Final Four and, and national runner-up teams? Yeah, you know, when I talked with uh, head coach Kelly Sheffield during one of the practices, he said that this team, in its depth might be one of the best he's had. And that's saying something, obviously, uh, throughout the years. I mean, Redke is a four-time All-American first team, could make the history and become the first five-time All-American first team player. And it's probably one of the favorites to do so in that situation. Um, I also think that one of the biggest return returners for the Badgers is Sydney Hilly, obviously. When you have a setter who has been there for now her fifth season, who plays so well, so consistent, is very a, much a rock in that middle of your offense. I mean, she really is who the offense goes to. Obviously, you need, you know, players like Brett Key and Robinson and everyone like that to really finish those points. But it's Hilly who clearly, from the name Setter, sets them up for that, and she has a lot of work to deal with the back row. She kind of connects both sides, both parts of the team together. Um, and I really think that that relationship, especially since she's been around for five years and she's Roommates with Retke a couple times last year during uh, Zoom interviews, 
they would basically play hot, uh, like, hot potato with the laptop when it would be Recky's time to speak, and then Hilly, they'd be like, all right, Hilly, come here, <laughs> and she'd be done <laughs> for the media. So I think that obviously they got a close connection. And, yeah, I mean, again, there's a reason why Wisconsin is the number two team in the country and why they were a unanimous, unanimous pick to win the Big Ten, the toughest conference in volleyball again this year, and it's because of that returning depth that they have and all the players who returned. Yeah, there's a, a lot of familiar names, and I know you kind of mentioned at the top, uh, but who are, you know, we're familiar with a lot of these names, but who are some of these new players that are becoming, because I know, of course, there's a freshman class, and, and still, you know, uh, Kelly Sheffield's done a really good job in recruiting. It seems like year after year he continues to, to go out there and, and get quality players. So who are some new faces that fans might need to look for this year? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, I have an article coming out also previewing uh, a little bit of this, but there was two transfers into the program uh, who will be playing sort of as defensive specialists on that back row, trying to get the balls uh, back into the air for Hilly to set. And that's uh, Jocelyn Boyer. Uh, She comes from Iowa, played as their libero, which is the player who wears the other jersey, you know, for us, it's Lauren Barnes, and there's not really a huge distinction in that. There are some sort of technical things of needing less subs to move in and out and all this other stuff that kind of gets a little confusing. But basically that means that they are kind of the quarterback of the defense for volleyball purposes. And she was uh, – Boyer was Iowa's libero last season. That normally means they're one of the better passers and players as well. So she comes in adding a lot of talent to that um, back row. Obviously she had – almost four digs per set during her year with Iowa, which was ninth best in the Big Ten. Again, the best volleyball conference you're playing in ninth best on a team that didn't necessarily win a ton of games. That's really good. And she has come in with a mindset of really wanting to, you know, win a national championship with Wisconsin when I talked to her. Sydney Reed is another name uh, to look out for on that back row as a new transfer. She comes in from UNC. Uh, her father actually uh, played at UW, played – in the Rose Bowl winning team in 1999. Uh, So a little fun connection there. Um, But she also is looking to add some talent and depth into that um, back row. She actually is sometimes played for the youth national team for volleyball, which, you know, which like soccer, if you follow soccer, you know, if players play for that youth national team, that they're a pretty all right player. And another player who has played for youth national team, but for a little bit north of the border, in Canada is middle blocker Anna Smrek. Now, we know Dana Retke, she's massive. She is a commanding presence. Uh, Anna Smrek is taller than Dana Retke, which boggles the mind. She stands at 6'9". Her dad actually uh, was a center for the Lakers, so that explains some of the height there. But, uh, yeah, she she absolutely was killing it during the practice that I got to see. She played really well during the red-white game. And she might be able to take a little bit of pressure off of – uh, Dana Redke and Danielle Hart coming in in a rotation as a middle blocker. She's really impressed me so far. I mentioned Julia Orschel off the top from Poland, also played for the team there, and she has really, you know, caught the caught the attention of the coach. And then the other freshmen rounding out all of the new faces coming to Wisconsin is Lauren Jardine. She's from Utah. She was their uh, Gatorade Player of the Year for volleyball and is a really solid outside hater who will, you know, I mean, it just, the rich get richer in this case, and it's, the depth is really in a good place for Wisconsin, you know, not just for 
this year, but for years to come. They look like really, really promising players. Well, that's awesome to hear. I know there's a lot of talent for sure beyond just the, the, the main names that you look for. So Kelly Sheffield, you got to give hats off to him for what he's put together as, as head coach of Wisconsin Volleyball. But looking at this team top to bottom, you know, it seems like they're a team poised for another deep run. Um, of course, it sounds like the talent is certainly there to get back to the Final Four, but what maybe needs to change to possibly get over that hump? Of course, it's early, the season having started yet, but I know those are kind of the the postseason and the expectations of not only for the team, but for fans as well. Yeah, you know, I think last year, it was a very weird year, obviously, for many, many reasons. But one of the things that happened down the stretch to me while watching, it seems like they almost got a little bit tired in those later tournament games. They didn't have the same kind of spark that they would have against uh, Florida, who they ended up beating in the it was the first time they were taken outside of three sets in the whole game, and then they got swept by Texas uh, in the Final Four. Those teams, Texas, Florida, and then the eventual national champions, Kentucky, got to play a little bit in the uh, fall of 2020 and then had a little shorter spring season kind of split up. The Badgers had all their games in the spring of uh, 2021, and then there was a big layoff because of COVID issues within the team where, uh, you know, there was – they had to cancel a lot of games, and a lot of matches got canceled for the Badgers on the stretch. Now, you know, who is to say? Maybe if Wisconsin had those games, they could have looked fresher. They could have had more kind of game fitness, match fitness, whatever you want to call it. But I think, too, against Florida and Texas, they kind of struggled sometimes on the back row or sort of little floater shots, like very finesse shots. They were pretty good, obviously, a very talented group. But I think that the reason why – Sheffield brought in Reed and Boyer from Iowa was to have a little bit more competition, have a little bit more depth in that back row, challenging the the players to make sure that, you know, the balls aren't falling down from the other team. You know, we know that, you know, Dana Retke and Loberg and all of them up front can put them away. It's just whether you can keep those up. And I think that that will be the spot to look for for Badger fans. We know that Retke is going to deliver. We know that Danielle Hart's going to deliver. We know Robinson is going to deliver on offense. It's going to be that defense that is really going to be the key of if they can get to win the national title this year. And everybody has said that that's the goal. Uh, You know, you talk to anybody at the program, that's almost one of the first words that comes out their mouth when they talk about this season. Uh, So there's no, you know, shortage of expectations. I think they all know what they want to do. It's just whether that will happen. And I think that, you know, there's a really good, really good, you know, really good chance for another Final Four at the minimum. And that's saying something when you consider how strong the Big Ten is. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was part of my last question. Uh, of course, I think one other big thing that will be helpful is fans back at the field house. I mean, that place when it gets rocking it is oh, yeah. a really fun environment and venue. And Wisconsin, you know, if you're a fan looking to go out and see this, they're going to have a lot of chances to see ranked teams as the Big Ten appears stacked. So which games do do you have circles as as games fans should try and get to? Because I know they've got a huge one in the non-conference. They've got some big ones um, in the Big Ten as well. So which games should should fans try and get to, to to see this team in action against some quality opponents? Yeah, you know, I mean, this weekend they play number 10 Baylor in a match, a rematch of a 2019 uh, semifinal, the Final Four game against Baylor. And Yossiana Presley, if you watched that game, you know that she could play, and she's still with Baylor. 
that's going to be a really tough test right off the bat for UW. I'm going to be really interested to see how they kind of manage that because there was a lot of times when it was a back row attack that they kind of faltered with against Texas um, and occasionally against uh, Florida. And also, uh, that's coming up this uh, Saturday, September 10th, circular calendars for another big out-of-conference game. That'll be against the Kentucky Wildcats, who are the defending national champions. Now, they did lose a ton of talent that brought them there in the senior class, but that's going to be a big, big game. It's supposed to be a red out in the field house. Absolutely crazy atmosphere, and hopefully it is filled to the rafters for what should be a really great out-of-conference game. The first big, big 10 game is going to be October 1st against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Obviously, you'd always love to win a rivalry game like that. But then the other big one is going to be really late in the year, November 26th, a Friday, against number five, Nebraska, at the Fieldhouse. That'll probably be, considering how late it is in the season, possibly going for who can win the Big Ten that weekend. And that's going to be a huge game. It's going to be probably around when, you know, it's one of the last home games of the season. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of fireworks coming to the, the, the field house. I mean, you know, number eight, Purdue comes November 12th, number 12, Penn State, October 23rd. And that's a, after a game against 11, Ohio State. There's just basically any game you go to in the field house, it's going to be a really good team that they'll be playing. And that's, that's what I think is the most exciting thing about this season you know, a lot of the players also said they can't wait to be back and see the fieldhouse full. You know, Georgia Chiavita, who uh, transferred from Wichita State, didn't get to play in front of the fieldhouse fans. Neither, neither did the freshmen. Neither did Devin Robinson. So they're really going to have that luxury of being surrounded by some of the loudest fans in volleyball. And I personally can't wait to be at those games in person. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. I know. Um, I'm headed to the Dayton game next Friday before, of course, the uh, Penn State opener at Wisconsin. So exciting times for Badger fans. We finally get back to getting to be a part of, of these big games and contests for UW Athletics, which is going to be an awesome environment for sure. Bremen, thanks again so much for taking the time. And, of course, fans, if you enjoyed listening to him uh, talk about Wisconsin volleyball, you this will not be the last time. Well, of course, like we said at the top, have him on to, to recap all the action and get you a little bit more volleyball coverage than what we um, normally touch on on the podcast. I know it's something that sometimes we have so much football we forget to talk about it or, or things just kind of get lost in the shuffle. So it would be great to have that installment um, to come out on our early episodes to recap all the action of what should be a really fun Wisconsin volleyball season. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for having me. And, again, if you want to follow along on uh, Twitter for uh, – I'll be live tweeting a lot of the games from uh, the B5Q Twitter account, but also a lot of times it'll be on my personal account as well. So shameless plug here. If you want to do that, it'll be at Kizinho, which is K-E-A-S-I-N-H-O, a nod to soccer there as well. Um, covering all the sports, I guess, volleyball and soccer in just my name and my Twitter. So I would really love to see you. And again, thank you so much for having me. I, I look forward to the rest of the season being able to talk talk a little bit of volleyball on this show there you have it fans make sure to check him out check out all the volleyball coverage over at b5q as always thank you guys for listening on wisconsin (laughs) 